Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share some things with you that have been meaningful to me. And uh, the issues that we're going to be addressing this morning are ones that each one of us will deal with at one time or another in our lives. I'm going to deal with it. Pastor Welch is going to deal with it. Chandler, wherever you are, you're going to deal with it. So listen up. And whether or not we are victorious in this struggle will determine, will have an impact on many aspects of our lives. It will have an impact on the degree of our usefulness by God. It will have an impact on our growth and our maturity. And it will have an impact on our depth of love for God and our gratefulness to him. So there's a lot at stake here. And I, I, the area that, as Cody mentioned, the area that I want to address this morning is in, the area, is in the area of jealousy and envy. Now, there are two additional reasons why I wanted to speak to this this morning. First of all, I, I think that sometimes in a group like this, where we have so many really good things down, that it's easy to miss some of these, these underlying issues. It's easy to miss things like jealousy. And uh, we can think that because we got these other things down, that we're going to be cruising along just fine. And for all we can see, that's going to continue. Now, I don't know if very many of you have snow skied, but uh, for those of you who have, have you ever been on that? There we go. We got one taker. Have you ever been at the top of the hill and you've got the straightaway, right? And uh, it's just you, the hill, 60 miles an hour, and you're just making a beeline for the bottom. And you're, you're okay because you're staying away from the trees over here and you're staying away from the moguls over here. And, uh, and you're, just, you're, just, you're just going as fast as you can. And then it happens. You hit that stinking bump and all of a sudden, boom, you know, one ski's over here, one ski's over there, your pulls up here, your pride is way down there because you probably just did it underneath the ski lift and, and you're flying through the air and you're thinking, what just happened to me? You know, everything, everything was going great. And it's what happened to you. You hit the little bump and that's what we have in the area of jealousy. Listen to what Stephen Lawson says about jealousy. He says, there are few things more easily hidden that lurk beneath the surface of our lives that are more deadly than the carnality of petty jealousy. Let me read that one more time. There are a few things more easily hidden that lurk beneath the surface of our lives that are more deadly than the carnality of petty jealousy. So it's in these areas that lie underneath the surface that Satan is going to want to focus on. He's going to want to hit. And O. Henry illustrates this well in one of his short stories. It reads, the devil was once crossing the Libyan desert, and he came across a spot where a number of small fiends were tormenting a holy hermit. The sainted man easily shook off their evil suggestions. The devil watched their failure, and then he stepped forward to give them a lesson. What you do is too crude, he said. Permit me for a moment. With that, he whispered to this most holy man, your brother has just been made the bishop of Alexandria. A scowl of malignant jealousy at once covered the serene face of the hermit. That, said the devil to his imps, is the sort of thing I would recommend. And that is the sort of thing he's recommending for our sibling relationships, for our marriage relationships, for our family relationships, and for Fredericksburg Christian Fellowship. So we've got to keep a, a, a watch for this. Secondly, from a personal note, the reason why I wanted to address this this morning is because I speak best about those things in which I have experience. 
and unfortunately I have a fair amount of experience in this area. And the things I want to share with you are things that have been born out of my own struggle. And uh, that's not to say that my thoughts are original, but, uh, but I certainly have had, had the struggle behind this. And I hope that what I have to share can in some way uh, be a blessing to you. As we begin, I want to go back to the story of three men in the Old Testament. And one of the wonderful things about God's word is that it provides many colorful illustrations of the truths that we find there. And the story of Jonathan and Saul and David is no exception to that. And I'm going to read uh, to you shortly about the interaction between Saul and David after David uh, killed the Philistine, killed Goliath. But before I do that, I want to give you some background as to what this relationship looked like before that time. Uh, the beginning of David and Saul's relationship could hardly have been better. Here you had David, who is this uh, young, young man with lots of ambition, and he, the king delighted in him. He refreshed the heart of the king. And, uh, and, and David and Saul was a mentor, likely, at some degree, to David. And so I imagine that these two were hardly separate from each other. And uh, here you had Saul, and here you had David. And those looking on perhaps thought that these two were going to go and do great things together. I mean, just, just the, the, the trust that Saul had in David to let him be his armor bearer. He was pretty much guarding his life. So there was a high degree of loyalty, of trust, and commitment in this relationship. So that's, that's kind of the background that we're coming into this with. And it had had time, this relationship had had time to mature. But then something uh, went terribly wrong. And the startling thing is that it happened in, in such a short amount of time. And so we want to ask the question today, what, what went wrong? And what do we have to be careful to avoid that Saul did not. Well, we know the story well. David and the Israelites had won a great victory for God's army, had defeated the Philistines. And a big parade is thrown for Saul as he's uh, riding through town. And, uh, you know, so I, I just imagine Saul's, you know, going through. He's just, he's just in his element. He's soaking it all up. And he's, he's making, you know, little kingly waves to the crowds. And, you know, then the ladies come out and, you know, every... Every guy likes a cheerleader, and he's, he's just loving that part of it. And then to top it all off, they start singing his favorite song ever, and that was Saul Has Killed His Thousands. I mean, he just loves that song. And, and everything's just going on swimmingly until they get to the second verse. And uh, let, me, let me read for you this passage here. It says, and, and Saul, let's see, let's see. So the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another and they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousand and David his tens thousands. And Saul was very angry and said, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands. And to me, they have ascribed only thousands. What can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul. and He raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had a spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear twice, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. So here's the sobering reality. This relationship that had taken years to develop and had developed into very strong cords of, of friendship and loyalty, that was all destroyed within, within a day, within a moment. And, and that's, that's one of the properties 
of jealousy that we have to be aware of is that it moves quickly. Some sins, not so much. But the, the jealousy, it moves very quickly, and it doesn't take long at all for it to work. Now, in, in a narrative like this, it might be easy to, to think uh, some thoughts about Saul, like, well, that would, that's Saul. You know, <laughs> we would expect he would do something like that. I mean, he was, he was a crazy, you know, egomaniac. But uh, I want to remind you of uh, R.C. Sproul Jr.'s first and second law of hermeneutics. Now, does anyone know R.C. Sproul Jr.'s first and second law of hermeneutics? Well, I'm going to teach them to you. The first one is, if you're reading the Bible and you come across somebody that does something stupid, you're that person, okay? And, and the second rule is, quite a, is similar to it. And if, if you're reading the Bible and you come across two people that do something stupid, well, you're both of them, okay? So in this, in this situation... We're not Jonathan here, okay? We're Saul. That's, that's, that's the part that we play in this story. And, and Saul was a man much like you and I, but a man who made a series of seemingly insignificant but serious compromises that not only ended up costing him his kingdom, but the most re- significant relationships in his life. And one of those compromises was in the area of jealousy. Let me paint a little bit of the picture what, what jealousy is here and try to make it as ugly for you as I possibly can. The, the meaning of the word is to be fired up, to have heated affections for something, to have these strong desires. Jealousy is more cruel than wrath and more outrageous than anger. Proverbs 24, 7 says, wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? This first gives us a progression and at the top of the list, we find jealousy at the top of the list. As we mentioned earlier, it's, it's subtle and it's hard to identify. And that's why we have to watch out for it. Stephen Lawson also describes jealousy in the following way. Jealousy is a cancer that eats and devours the soul. Jealousy is a raging fire that, if not extinguished, will consume our inner life. And then listen to this description by Swindoll in his graphic way. Like an anger-blind, half-starved rat prowling in the foul-smelling sewers below street level, so is the person caged within the suffocating radius of his selfish jealousy. Trapped by resentment, he feeds on the filth of his own imagination. Well, it's, it's pretty, pretty nasty stuff, this jealousy. So we want to... We want to understand how we can address it in our lives. First, I want to address what feeds jealousy. Now, there's probably quite a list of things, but I'm just going to start, just give you one. And we see that in verse 8, where it says, And Saul was angry with this refrain, and it displeased him greatly. They have credited David with ten thousands, tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What did he do? He compared himself. They gave David this, and I only have this. And that I would, at least in my life, is one of the primary ways that I can feed jealousy. And uh, we have to nip that one in the bud. We really do. It just gets way out of hand. And uh, you remember the story of of Peter and Jesus along the seashore? And uh, Jesus is about ready to leave them. He's been with them three years. And he asks them, do you love me? And they have this little conversation. And Jesus, and Peter tries to convince him, yes, I love you. I really do love you. Now, what happens right after that? He says, but what about, what about John over here? 
You know, what's going to happen with him? Isn't that our tendency? We can even have this great experience with God or kind of come from a, off a mountaintop experience. And then, and then the next moment, we're wondering, well, but what about him? You know? And the point is, don't worry about him. That's not, that's, not your, that's not your worry. God will worry about that. Don't compare. Do not compare. Nip that in the bud. Well, also want to identify some outworkings of jealousy. And I want to go through these so that we can, we can be looking for the things in our lives that might have previously gone unnoticed, but that might be flags for us in the future that we can uh, use to identify jealousy in our lives. First of all, jealousy cannot rejoice at the success or recognition of others. And on the flip side of this, uh, jealousy is saddened at the happiness of others. But jealousy cannot rejoice at the success or recognition of others. Now, this might seem like a rather uh, obvious you know, characteristic of jealousy, but it's often found, especially between those people and those people where they are in your competitive sphere. So, for example, um, I have this neighbor where I live. I just recently found out he is the third best in the world. And by the way, he's a man. Third best in the world in ballet dancing. Now, I am very happy for Mr. Ballet Dancer. <laughs> but I am not jealous of him, you know? And uh, because I, I have zero af- affinity for ballet dancing. Zip. And, and, you know, unlike some men that I know. And, uh, and in fact, he could, be, he could be first in the world. I wouldn't care. I wouldn't care at all. But I have a friend that, uh, who's younger than me. That just makes, makes money like you wouldn't believe. I mean, I think he's got a gold line like straight to heaven or something. And God, God fills that up every morning. But he, you know, and I, I was like, man, how does he do that? And that, that, that bothers me. That really bothers me because he's in my competitive sphere. And I want to do well in that area. I don't care about the ballet, ballet dancing. <laughs> now, um, jealousy is, oh, well, let, me also, let me also point out that sometimes we try to fake it. Fake, you know, expressions of, of congratulations. You know, we and we even fake ourselves, and it usually comes out in a rather pinched, plasticky. I'm glad you did well in that, you know, <laughs> but but it, it lacks it lacks all the heartfelt warmth of sincere appreciation for what that person did and what that person accomplished, and uh, there is no uh, substitute for that heartfelt. Uh, appreciation for that person. Secondly, jealousy is often found to be critical and suspicious of others. In fact, it will even shape faults when there's no fault there. It's often critical. We see that in verse 9. It says, And Saul eyed David from that day forward. He had no reason to eye him. David didn't like do a you know about face and was out to get Saul. He he was just he grew suspicious and critical and skeptical of David. Guys, have you ever been around another guy and, and he's just one of these guys that's just built? You know, he's just got muscles all over the place. I mean, he has muscles in places you don't even have places. And, and, and all of a sudden, you're watching him and you're thinking, he's proud. Yeah, he's proud. I can, I can just smell it. He just reeks with pride, you know? And, uh, well, maybe, but probably not, or at least not nearly to the degree that you think, because the bottom line is you're, you're jealous of him and now you're being critical of him and you're finding something 
to kind of even the balances there. And that's what we have to do. We see so we see somebody that's uh, that's up here and we're down here and we have one or two choices. We either bring them down or we lift ourselves up. And so the critical thing is we just we're just bringing them down to be at our level. We've got to even those balances. Thirdly, jealousy motivates people to separate from those of whom they are jealous. Now, how, that, that's, a, that's a big one right there. Have you, have you seen in yourself, you just don't like to be around this person. I mean, maybe you haven't put your finger on it, but you just don't want don't to be with them. You might come up with the excuse, well, their kids don't like to play with my kids or something like that. But at the end of the day, there's somebody that you're just not wanting to be around. There's likelihood that there's an issue of jealousy there. This next one uh, is, is also a doozy. Jealousy is often used as a refuge from the guilt we feel when others are obedient and are blessed for it, and we are not. So Saul here, he had the opportunity to say, you know what? David was a man of faith. He was a man that took on that giant, and this is God's blessing on his life for that, that faithful action. And I, I did not. He could have repented right there. But no, he, he was disobedient. He did not have the faith. And in response to the recognition that David received, he resorted to jealousy. And I think that's one of the things that made it so painful for him because it emphasized his own disobedience. And then jealousy produces unwarranted hostility against those that never harmed us. And it's, it's just amazing how just on a, just in a moment's notice, you can, you can be enjoying this person's company and all of a sudden, it's just like, ah, I just don't want to be around you. You know, just the, I don't, you know, don't, don't, don't want to even really talk to you right now. And uh, this, I don't know if this had anything to do with it, but it, this could be at the root of why some people, somebody short sheeted my, my bed this last week. And uh, I wasn't going to mention any names, but their initials are <laughs> Max Clark and Jackie. So um, I, I, it's just, just a thought there, um, but it, they, bad things happen. Gotcha. Um, so we've, we've seen some of the outworkings of jealousy. It cannot rejoice in the success and recognition of others. It is often critical and suspicious. It motivates people to separate and to move away from each other. And I, would, I don't think I gave you the passage for that, but I think it's important. It says, therefore Saul removed him from him and made him his captain over a thousand. So he says, let's put some distance here. And then jealousy is often used, uh, that verses verse 13. And then jealousy is often used as a refuge from the guilt we feel when others are obedient and we are not. And jealousy produces unwarranted hostility against those who never harmed us. Well, I want to be as practical as I can this morning. I want to give you an example uh, from my own life of, of jealousy and uh, what, what God has, has taught me through that. Now, I have a brother who sings like a bird. And actually, we both sing like a bird. It's just two different kinds of birds. <laughs> and he, he, he's, he's more of the robin. And, and by comparison, I'm a little bit more of the rooster. And, and the funny thing is, people are more interested in hearing the robin. I haven't figured that one out. And I wish I could say every time he's gotten up, oh, thank you, Lord. I'm glad he can sing your praises. That's just not been the case. That has not been the case. And there have been times 
where it's almost been physically painful to me to see him recognized. And I've, I've had to really come to grips with this. Jealousy cannot rejoice at the success or recognition of others. There's been times where I just could not do that. And remember about the be, being difficult with those in your competitive sphere? Well, you have to understand, growing up, I was the musician, you know? I was the one with the golden touch. And then Mr. Bird over here, Robin, Mr. Robin over here comes along and he steals the show. And, and that, uh, that's very problematic for me. And uh, I had to, to understand that my responsibility was to rejoice with him, even though he was in my competitive sphere. Jealousy is often found to be critical and suspicious of others. I, you know, I turned to this, oh, man, I just kind of looking for things, looking for things to point out, things that he was doing. You know what? Think about Danny. He's a very gracious guy about it. He's never once thrown it in my face, never once. And, uh, and quite honestly, I mean, he, he's quite humble about his gifts. I just want to put that note in for him. So it's never been an issue with him. But I've, I've tried to find problems. Motivates people to separate from each other. There's been times where I, 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 don't, I don't really want, you know, I don't want to do, talk with you right now. You know, you got your gig going. I'm going to do my gig over here. You know, and we, we actually have slept in the same room for numbers of years. There's two rooms there, but we're, we're, we've been close. We've had a conversation like Dave. It's, that it's, it's nighttime and we're in bed and he says, Dave. I'm like, mm-hmm. Are you okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't seem okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's not good on relationship. That's putting distance there. And then unwarranted, oh, refuge from guilt. Danny has been diligent in his, more diligent in some ways than I have been in my music. And uh, that shows a, a lack on my part that I have to be willing to acknowledge. So I want to give you this example because partly to, to help emphasize that no relationship is immune from this. Danny and I are very close. We've been close for years. We're best buds. But that wasn't enough for this not to be an issue. So those are some of the outworkings of jealousy. Now the consequences of jealousy. It does not come without a cost. First, it will ruin spiritual appetite. We see that in 1 Peter 2, verse 1. It says, therefore, laying aside all malice, all guile, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So in this list, he's saying you've got you to put off these things. And the, and the implication is if you don't put off jealousy, you're not going to be able to assimilate the milk of the word and grow thereby. Okay, it will obstruct our appetite. Second point is related to this. Jealousy stunts spiritual growth. The believers at Corinth were having a problem with this. In 1 Corinthians 3, it says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now, you were not able to receive it. And even now, you are still not able. For you are still carnal. For... Where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, see you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? So he's saying, you guys aren't growing. And the reason why you're not growing 
is because you have envy. It's one of the things. Is you have envy. And they could not break out, this, out of this cycle of petty jealousies to break out into a walk of faith that developed into maturity and growth. Jealousy prevents us from carrying out our commission. We are commanded by Christ to make disciples. And that is inclusive of, but not limited to, evangelism. And so the interaction that we have with one another here is a lot about discipleship. But as you can see in the life of Saul, he, he was not even anywhere close to discipling David once he became jealous of him. He had a tremendous opportunity to be a mentor to him, to, to, to help, him, help him grow. He did not take that. And, and the reason why is because he became jealous of him. And uh, it's, it's a serious thing that we can, we can incapacitate ourselves from carrying out our job, which is to make disciples. In the, and, and we can rob that person of whom we are jealous of the blessing that we are commanded to be to them. So jealousy prevents us from carrying out our commission. Jealousy rots the bones. And uh, some of you doctors in the room would probably have uh, some good things to say about the effects physically of jealousy. But Proverbs 14.30 says, A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. And uh, it certainly has a spiritual destructive force, but it also has a physical destructive force. And if we are allowing jealousy to remain in our lives and in, in, our, in our souls, we will experience the effects and consequences physically of jealousy. And then jealousy contaminates everything it touches. It's, it's, never, it's never alone. Even in that, in that passage we read in 1 Corinthians, it says, for you have envy and strife and these other things. It brings other evils into the picture. Now, let me read James 3.13. It says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. For if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing will be there. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and everything evil will be there. So it's never alone. You're always going to have contention and strife and all these other evils that it will bring in it's as a part of its party. Have you ever been in a, in a situation and you just, feel, you just feel strife and you feel the spirit of contention? It's likely that there's an issue of jealousy at work there. Well, I've given you some description of jealousy. I've given you uh, an item of what feeds jealousy. I've described some, compar some outworkings of jealousy, and I've described some consequences of jealousy. So hope you've gotten the picture that jealousy is not something that we want in our lives. But there's good news that uh, we don't have to live under this, that there's a cure for this. And we see just a wonderful example in the life of Jonathan. And I have really grown in my appreciation for Jonathan after, after studying this and uh, after having his example be an encouragement to me. But before uh, we 
get into his interaction after Saul killed Goliath. I also want to give you some background of what had taken place in Saul's life prior to this David becoming a, a great hero. And uh, if you go back a few chapters, you'll read uh, kind of about the state of the nation. It was, it, was in the, it was in the sewer. I mean, you not only had no military equipment, uh, you had, what did they have, two, two swords, something like that. You had no military equipment, but the morale was just in the dumpster. I mean, you had the men of Israel hiding out in the nearest little alcove cave hole that they could dig. And then the great King Saul... Uh, he's executing his strategy of complete inaction from under a pomegranate tree and just stalling the day away. So, you know, this, this is what's happening. And then Jonathan, uh, with the power of God in his life, he, he, he wants to make a difference. And he goes out and almost single-handedly whoops up on the Philistines. And, and all he gets for it, this is, this, this is well, let, let, let me say this. So when David shows up on the scene and David gets all this praise and all this you know pray for David how easy would it have been for him to say whoa you guys remember just a little while back when I mean, David wasn't even around you know the rest of you were hiding away like a bunch of rodents and you know doing absolutely nothing I went out I won a battle and what did I get for that all I got for that was a death threat from my own father at the end of the day Okay, so there seems to be a little bit of, you know, imbalance here. That, that, that's, I, I probably wouldn't have blamed Jonathan too much if he had taken that approach, but he didn't at all. And, and that, is, that is phenomenal to me. That is, that is unnatural. And that's the thing. It's, it's unnatural. And so I want to know, I want to know from, from Jonathan what he did and, and how he did it. So let me read for you these few verses at the beginning of chapter 18. It says, After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. So this is just right after he had killed the Philistine. He became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. He made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. In a situation that could have easily turned into one of those nasty, cruel, bloody rivalries, he took that, he took that, that potential, and he chose to love David as himself. That's, that's phenomenal to me. And what he did is also remarkable. I used to read this uh, this the ceremony that he went through of giving him his things and I was kind of thinking, well, that, that was nice. I mean, I'm sure that was a cool coat and a cool tunic and a cool sword and bow, but there's a lot of significance packed into that ceremony. And, and he began by making a covenant with David. Now, the idea of covenant is largely lost in our day, but it was this, this commitment to this other per person characterized by purposefulness, David, uh, Jonathan initiated this relationship. It was purposeful. It was sacrificial. And then it was, it was wholehearted. He loved him as his own soul. That was the type of covenant that he made. Instead of being a rival to David, he made this type of covenant with him. And to, and to signify this covenant, he went through the ceremony. First of all, he gave him 
his robe. Now, there's a lot of significance wrapped into that uh, gesture. In Hebrew culture, the giving of a robe was, was this idea of, of giving that person a certain status. Okay? So when, when, David, when Jonathan gave David his robe, what he was doing is, David, you're, you're king. You be king instead of me. And we, we see an example of that in the, in the prodigal son, where the son came home. And what did the father do? He came out, and one of the first things he did, he gave him a robe, which, which restored him to his status as a son and as accepted. So, so Jonathan began this ceremony by first giving him pretty much one of the most precious things that he had. He said, here, David, you take my robe, and you be king instead of me. And then... He gave him, there's different translations for the next. Some translate it garments. Other translations say it was his armor. And uh, some have said that this, this signified uh, his, his, his military prowess. This signified all of his honors, all of his credits, everything that was represented in his armor. And so he says, here, David, you take my robe, you be king instead of me. You take my my armor, and you, you take my honors, you take my merit, you take the credit for all the battles that I have won. Amazing. And you'd be the great military leader. And then Jonathan gave him his sword and his bow. Now, if Jonathan had any intention of clinging to his kingdom, what would he have wanted? Well, he's going to want his sword and his bow. Uh, I mean, it was already a rare commodity, so it's not something you wanted to get rid of. But, I mean, that's the, that's the last thing you do as a prince to give your sword and your bow to a rival. I mean, he probably had a Hethafel in his face from time as a boy, like, Johnny boy, never give your sword to a rival, you know? I mean, it was like being Prince 101. You just don't do that, Jonathan. You don't give your sword and bow away. But he gave it. He gave it away. And he said, David... You take my sword and bow. These are the resources that I have, my prized possessions, and you go and conquer. So he says, David, here's my robe. You be king instead of me. Here's my armor. You be the great military leader. Here's my sword and here's my bow. And you go and you conquer. Take everything that is closest to me. Take everything that is of interest to me. Take everything that is dearest to me. You take it all. And that was the covenant that he made with David. It was purposeful. It was sacrificial. And it was wholehearted. Well, I want to be a Jonathan. And it's a long journey, but I want to be, I want to be like Jonathan. And when my brother gets asked to sing, I want to be there to encourage him to do it out of love for the God that died for him. And when he gets down, I want to be there to cheer him up. And when uh, he gets nervous, I want to be there to calm him down. And uh, when he does well, I want to be there to rejoice with him. And when he messes up, I want to be there to help boost him ahead. And uh, that's what I want to be to Danny. And at the end of the day, when all the lights are off and all the applause has died down and the people have left. I want him to know that I will be there to give him whatever he needs to fight his battles for God's kingdom.
that's my desire, but it's, it's a journey, guys. And um, I'll also look at some other things that Jonathan was to David. He was a discipler. And I really don't believe David would have become the man of God that he became had it not been for Jonathan. He discipled him. He, he taught him what it meant to live by faith. He taught him what it meant to, to sacrifice. Let me talk about living by faith and, and sacrifice, giving up your kingdom and everything you have as a prince. That takes a lot of faith. He taught him uh, by example about loyalty and commitment. And he taught him what it meant not to cling to something that was rightfully yours. You know, we think back to when David was in or ahead to when David was in the cave. He had this opportunity to kill Saul. Well, I'm glad that David didn't do that, but I want to give some of the credit to Jonathan, because where do you think he learned that? Where do you think he learned not to take something that was rightfully yours? He learned that from Jonathan. That was the example that Jonathan had set for him. So Jonathan was a discipler of David. And then Jonathan became a, a pillar, a support to him. It says in 1 Samuel 23, 16 and 17, and David stayed in strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in the forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. And, and even my father knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. But he went out to him. He sought David. And he went out to them to encourage him, to encourage his soul, and, to, and encourage him not to fear. So Jonathan, instead of becoming jealous, he, he, he created this covenant with David. He initiated this covenant with David that was purposeful and sacrificial and wholehearted. And then he went beyond that to disciple David. And then he also went out of his way to be an encouragement and a support to him. Well, I love that example, but that still leaves me with the question, well, how'd you do it, Jonathan? I mean, that's, that's tremendous. I, you know, I wish I was like you, but how did you do it? And I think, I believe that... Jonathan was victorious in this area because, and this, this, is, this is key here, because he was not about building his kingdom. He wasn't about building his kingdom. And, and the degree to which I insist on building the kingdom of David Craig and the image of David Craig is the degree to which I will struggle with jealousy. And so Jonathan... He, he, he was able to rise above that and, and see what the, what the big picture was, what God was doing, and whose side he was on. He was able to see that Jonathan, David wasn't a rival, that, that David was, was this fellow warrior. I was able to, don't know who the quote was from, but let me read this for you. Jonathan saw the big picture. He saw what his father failed to see that it wasn't all about protecting the kingdom and clinging to the crown. It was much greater than that. Jonathan understood the cause of David, that the cause that David stood for, and he loved it. 
He didn't see a rival in David. He saw a fellow soldier. The core of their relationship was united, was a united purpose to extol the God they loved and to honor his name among the nations. And when that was in place, there was no room for petty jealousy to get a foothold. Jonathan saw David take on the giant, saw his unshakable confidence in God, and recognized a kindred soul. He and David looked at the same thing, at, at things the same way, and this was the man he wanted to be around. So my question for myself and my question for you this morning is, are you about building your kingdom? Is it about your image? It is about your status. Now, I'm going to pick on myself a little this morning. I'm going to pick on you a little bit. In a church like this, with so much talent and ability and resources, I don't have any inside scoop, but I would imagine that this could be an issue. It could be an issue. And these are some honest questions that we need to ask ourselves. Am I about building my kingdom? Am I pulling away from anybody in this church? And if so, why is that? And is at the heart of it a spirit of jealousy? Jonathan understood the big picture that it was about God's kingdom and about his glory and advancing his cause. And so to him, it didn't matter what part he played in that process. And some of us are going to be called to be Jonathan's. And some of us are going to be called to be David's. And we may be Jonathan's in some areas of our lives and, and David's in another area of our lives. We might be called in the battle for the kingdom. We might be called to be the ones in a particular area to throw ourselves over the barbed wire so that the guy behind us can advance over us and take the hill. That might be our job in some way. And that's not a problem because both are necessary. You have to, you, we love our Davids, but we have to have our Jonathans. And there's nothing unglamorous or unglorious about being a Jonathan. We have to be willing and ready to step up to that, that calling, whatever it is for us. So Jonathan saw the big picture. And he wasn't about trying to, trying to, to advance himself because he realized that his God was jealous after him. His God wanted him, all of him, not just part of, he wanted it all. And he, he realized that he had a jealous God. And so he, he, he responded to that call. I love the life of Jonathan and he is, he's a challenge to me. I, want to give one side side note i'm not drawing this from any passage here that i read here but it's been it's been something that's been helpful for me also in this fight for uh against jealousy and that is when you're when you're in the moment when you're when you're struggling with something that another person has one thing that's been helpful for me is just the idea of you know make make your own fun you know don't don't rely on other to sponge this, whatever you're sponging from another person. Just you be good at being you. I need to be good at being me. And if we're good at just being us, we're going to be fine. We're going to have a good time. We don't have to worry about it. I've, uh, I went on a, a trip, a cruise a little while ago, and there was this guy who served waffles every morning. And uh, I got to, you know, bump into this guy more than once. 
And he, he never had a big long line at his place, you know, not nearly as long as the guy at the omelet bar. But, you know, every, every, every uh, waffle he served me, I mean, this is like a three-step process. It's like put the waffle on the plate, put the berries on it, put the whipping cream, and give it away. Every waffle he gave me, it was like it was his first waffle. I said, yeah, I'll take a waffle. Oh, waffle. And then and I'll take, you know, the mixed berries. Oh, mixed berries, you know. And then I'll a little whipping cream. Ah, oh, whipping cream, you know. Put the, the whipping. And you know what? He, he wasn't worried about the, the guy at the omelet who had the longer lines and the more attention. He was just having a good time doing his little thing. And he was making the most of it. And I, I love running into people who can do that. And it, it's refreshing. They're not relying on other people to have a good time. So just you, you make your own party. Just uh, and, and, and enjoy, enjoy being you. I need to enjoy being me. And uh, that can reduce a lot of the struggle there sometimes. We can just do that. So let me recap a number of points here before we close this morning. What do we do with jealousy? Well, we not, cannot feed it. That's a good place to start. We gotta stop comparing. Just stop it. And uh, and it's easy to do, isn't it? Because we're that's part of our nature. We kind of size people up. We kind of you know kind of put them in a box, and they might be a little bit above us, or they might be a little bit below us. We do that very quickly and very naturally. But that has to stop. Secondly, we have to be on the lookout for it because it's so subtle. We can do that by by seeing if there's areas where we cannot rejoice in the success of others, if we're critical and suspicious of others, if we're motivated to separate from others, if we go to jealousy because there's an area of our lives in which we're not being obedient, and then if we have this just underlying resentment towards another person that just kind of came out of nowhere. Those are all indications that we might have jealousy in our lives. And we have to, when we find that, we have to repent of it. You know, we have to call it for what it is. We can't coddle it. We can't pet it. We, you know, the, it's, with bottom line, one of my pastors used to say, that stuff is just stinking thinking, you know. We just got to call it stinking thinking. Just call it, call it for what it is. And you know what, it's, it's telling God, it says, uh, it's, it's saying, it's telling God that the thing that I am jealous of is more valuable to me than all my inheritance in, in Christ because that thing has the power to make me happy where Christ cannot. It's more valuable to me than everything God has given me because it can make me happy and, every, and what God has given me cannot. That's, that's a serious thing. So we have to, we have to understand. We have to, we have to be quick to identify it and then repent of it and call it for what it is. And then that's, uh, it's important for us to, to see the big picture. Whose children are we? What are we about here? And when we do that, when we see that it's about advancing his kingdom because he loved us and he died for us and he gave everything for us, then it just minimizes a lot of these other issues here that we can so quickly get tangled in. When we're jealous of a person, it's not enough just to say, I don't know not going to be jealous. We need to take proactive steps in that person's life. We need to develop relationship that's characterized by initiative, by sacrifice, by, by a wholehearted effort to, to give to the needs of that person. 
we have to be there to be a discipler, uh, to be an encouragement to that person. That's a, a summary of the things that we covered this morning, but I want to leave you with a final thought that I think is very key to this all because a concern of mine would be is that we come from this morning and we think, okay, yeah, jealousy is just a bad thing. You know, <laughs> got to stay away from that jealousy. And, and we think that we're just going to go and we're going to just take care of this tomorrow. We're just going to go single-handedly eradicate this thing. And I want to tell you a story about a, a few winters ago. I was driving home with my siblings, and it was a beautiful winter night. We had just gotten a fresh batch of snow. You guys know it's snow. Snow is okay. Okay. Uh, we had just gotten a fresh batch of snow. It's about six inches. And we're driving home, and the plows had not come yet. And so there was just the ruts where the cars had gone. And uh, I'm moving along at a nice masculine speed, clipping <laughs> along there. And but I wasn't worried about the conditions because I had two things in my favor. First of all, I was uh, driving an all-wheel vehicle. And, and then secondly, I had my expert winter driving skills at my disposal. And so <laughs> I just wasn't worried. But that wasn't enough to con convince my sister, who was sitting right next to me. And they, you know, I had a number of siblings in the, in the back as well. And so, I can't, can't believe this, but she had the nerve to suggest kindly, maybe, that I was going too quickly. I mean, can you believe that? And, and without, without a moment's hesitation, I mean, it was, it was instantaneous. I said, Anna, put my hand up, said, Anna, I got it. Okay, I'll just pause. You married guys probably already know this, but for the rest of us, just don't say that to a female. It just, just remove the words from your vocabulary because it's a bad combination. Just never tell a female, I got it. Because what I quickly realized is that I didn't got it. You know, when I'm just trying, it was, it, it was, it was instantaneous. I'm, it, 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 my car hit, hit the side, must have gone up on the side of the rut. Before I know it, I was in the snowbank. So it was like, David, maybe you should slow down. Anna, I got it. Whoa! <laughs> right into the... And all of a sudden, I'm looking at this, this wall of snow there. And then, of course, my, my siblings picked up the, the sweet refrain, I got it, you know, I got it. And, I, and, and it would not let me down. Now, why do I tell you that story? I tell you that story because in areas like jealousy, we can go easily go from here and say, I got it. I'm going to go get it. And brothers and sisters, you don't got it. And I don't got it. None of us got it. We don't have what it takes in and of ourselves to be victorious in this. And we often underestimate what the problem really is. Because it's, this is a heart problem. This is, a, this, is a, this is very deep. We need our value system to be recalibrated. And so this, this is not a quick fix at all. And, and if we have this attitude of, I got it, and I'm going to fix this, it's just it's not going to happen. Not on a good day. Not on a good day. And I find that I have to 
often come back and say, here I am again. <laughs> Same stinking jealousy, you know? And, you know, part of the problem is, you know, sometimes I want, want to do what's right, but sometimes I, I don't even want to, you know? I, I don't want to be happy for that person. <laughs> I don't want to rejoice with them. I, I don't even want to. So I've got a really big problem, and I need you to give me these desires because it's, it's not happening here. It's not happening here. And we have to pray that prayer like we have in the hymn. Spirit of God, descend upon my heart. Wean it from earth through all its courses move. Speak to my weakness, mighty as thou art. And may I love you as I ought to love. And we have to say, here's my weakness again. If you're gonna, it's going to get fixed. You have to do the fixing. And you know what? That's where God wants us to be. He says, says, the Lord does not take pleasure in the strength of a horse or in the legs of a man. He's not looking for some Herculean effort on our part to, we're going we're gonna to tackle this baby. No, he takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his mercy. And I believe that part of that hope is just coming to him and saying, I don't got it. And I need you to help me in this area else I'm not ever going to get it. And I think he likes to see us. He loves to see us come there. And it's at that point that he will give us the grace to address the peculiar challenges that are represented in a spirit of envy and a heart of jealousy. It's at that point that we'll experience the joy of building a kingdom for a king who's worthy of all of our honor and devotion. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we're just a bunch of weak people. And uh, the only hope for us is a God who is gracious enough to show us our sin and then to help walk us through it, to help us become more like Christ. And we're thankful for that hope. And today we want to recognize that we're looking to you to do that work in us, to make us more like Christ. We, I ask, Lord, that even in this church, that you would uh, convict, that you would show those areas that might be ever so subtle, those areas of jealousy that need to be addressed. And Lord, for your honor, for your glory, because that pleases you when we do that. It pleases you when we love one another, when we can encourage and wholeheartedly support one another. So we're looking to you for this grace. We ask for it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.